Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 130, please. Psalm 130. If you need a Bible, you can grab a Bible off the pew in front of you. It's page 618 in that Bible. Just as a heads up, everybody's going to need a Bible today. So whether it's on your phone or grabbing in the Bible in front of you, uh, we won't do the, we're going to do an exercise at the very end. So you don't need it imminently, but just to get you ready for that. And we are kicking off our week of prayer this week, our annual week of prayer. And as we do that, uh, we like to teach on prayer a little bit as we get ready to head into that. And so we're going to be talking about the Psalms today, which are uh, this book right in the middle of your Bible that uh, we often kind of skim over and we don't always spend a lot of time deeply diving into that. And yet it's this incredible book of, of songs, literally. They were written as worship songs for Israel. Uh, that are there here now that teach us what worship looks like, what prayer looks like, what approaching God looks like. And so if we want to grow in prayer and we want to go deeper and go to the next level in our prayer life, we can't do that without engaging with the Psalms in some way, because that is God's word given to us in part to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to worship. And one of the things I love about the Psalms, which we'll talk about this morning, is uh, they are not all just sort of bright, shiny, happy prayers. The psalms are there that are bright and shiny and happy, and then there are psalms that are dark and despairing. There are psalms that are frustrated. There are psalms that are doubting. Uh, and, and whether you're in a great place in life or whether you're in a struggling place in life, there are psalms there that speak to all of the different seasons in life, the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows. And you've heard me say often, one of the reasons I love the book of Psalms so much is that it is so real. It is so authentic. There's not a lot of pretending going on when the psalmist is talking to God. And that's something uh, I notice a lot more since I became a parent is that kids are really, really honest all the time. And there is a point where we start to lose that as we get older and we get more guarded. And, and maybe not everybody. Some of us, I think, are some of you are really honest, actually, as I say that out loud. But generally, kids on their own are pretty honest. And whether they're happy or sad or whether they're having a good day or a bad day, it's just kind of out there. And so uh, just look, thinking about my own kids and my own family and just the phrases that are common, the things that we hear all the time. Uh, there's never any doubt if my kids are hungry or not. Number one, they always are. But they tell you all the time. Number one phrase spoken by children in my house is, I am hungry. Uh, another common phrase connected to number one is, what's for dinner? Another phrase connected to that is, I don't like what's for dinner. And we go, well, we liked it last week, and that's why we bought it again. Uh, and then that's not fair. That's the other one we hear all the time. That's not fair. My kids have a very, very strong sense of injustice when and only when it's against them. Uh, not so much when it's against their sibling, but they have a very, very clear sense of what is right and what is wrong. And the point is, whatever they are going through, it's just out on their sleeve. And in that sense, it's kind of nice because at least you know where they're at and you can deal with it from there. And so whether my kids are having a good day or a bad day when I pick them up after school, the question always is, how was your day? And they have no problem saying it was great or it was horrible and exactly why. And there's this beautiful openness and honesty and the teenage years are coming and I know that's changing, but I'm going to enjoy it while I have it. And there is something about that. You know, there's a reason that Jesus said, be childlike in your faith. Be childlike. Children are open. Children are trusting. And, and so as we look to our kids as an example of honesty and authenticity, that actually helps us when we talk about talking to God. 
Because if you're going to be honest anywhere in your life, it should be with God. Because one, he knows it all already. You're not fooling anybody. And two, he is the one who helps. And so when we read the Psalms, we see this incredible, open, honest relationship with God. This incredible conversation going on. And when we talk about prayer, that's really all we're talking about is talking to God connecting with God, spending time with God, having a conversation with God. And the psalmist modeled this so beautifully for us. And as we look at the psalms today, we're going to talk about psalms in general. We're going to look at one specific psalm and walk through it. Uh, there is this, this grace given to us where something I hear a lot as a pastor is, I don't know what to pray. People tell me that all the time. I don't know how to pray or I don't know what to pray. And that's a pretty common thing. If that's you, don't, don't feel weird about that. That's a very common thing. We have to learn how to pray. Even Jesus' disciples had to come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's not natural to us. And yet when we look at God's word, uh, Psalms are there for us when we don't know what to pray. Because when we don't know what to pray, we can just pray the Psalms. We can read those Psalms back to God as our prayer. We can offer them up to him in that way. I don't do it every single day, but most days begin with me reading a Psalm out loud as prayer to the Lord. And the great thing about that is that's a prayer that I know God likes because he's the one that breathed the prayer in the first place. And so when I don't know what to pray, the Psalms, in a sense, can pray for me. When I'm not sure what the right words are, the Psalms are there to help me along. And as we read God's word back to him, we know we're praying perfect prayers every single time. And as we do that as well, it also teaches us beyond just the literal Psalms, it teaches us how to pray so that we can pray on our own as well on top of that. And so as we go through today, uh, just to keep that in mind as we're thinking about prayer, for the Jewish people, the book of Psalms is their prayer book. That is what they pray back to God. Jesus, as a devout Jewish man, would have read Psalms as prayers back to his heavenly father regularly. That would have just been a normal part of his spiritual life. And so the Psalms are here to help make prayer easier for us. So let's take a look at our specific Psalm today. We're in Psalm 130. This again, just as one we're going to look at as an example, page 618 in the Pew Bible, starting in verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So we're going to walk through that one today, and it's going to teach us just a bit about prayer in general. You can get books of the Bible uh, that are just the Psalms. You can get books that are just Psalms 1 to 150, and they're called Psalters. And they are just the Psalms gathered together. And you can get those on Amazon. You can get fancy versions or simple versions. You can get little pocket versions that literally just fit in your pocket. And they'll often have a concordance at the back. And in the concordance at the back, it'll say, here are Psalms of rejoicing. Here are psalms of repentance. Here are psalms of despair. Here are psalms of doubt. 
Uh, and so you can kind of look at that and say, well, wherever I'm at today, I can find a psalm that is able to help me to pray. And so there's a rich history in the church, in the traditions, uh, particularly in the monasteries where the monks and the nuns gathered uh, from the Middle Ages on, where the psalms was such a rich part of their daily life. And I mean, they're doing it full time, obviously. They're living there full time and living amongst it. But the Benedictine monks would go through the entire book of psalms every single week all 150 psalms every single week, 20 plus a day, uh, just as part of their daily life. And they would have multiple chapel services throughout the day. So you'd have your early morning office where you'd go and you'd read a few psalms and you'd have your mid-morning office, then you'd have your lunchtime office and your early afternoon and your late afternoon and dinner and all the way through. And when you do that enough and you read enough psalms, you obviously start to really take that in. You really start to internalize that. You really start to memorize that. And if you can imagine having the whole book of psalms memorized, you would never have a problem praying ever again. You would just have so much God-breathed prayer inside you that would just be there for every moment and every opportunity. And the, the brothers and sisters who lived in these places could then encourage one another with these psalms, right? If someone was going through a hard time, you'd say, oh, I know the scripture. I know the right prayer. I know the right psalm that speaks into that situation. Let's pray that psalm to the Lord together. So it's not just about our connection with God ourselves. We can encourage one another in these things. And while we are probably never going to reach where the monks reach, uh, we can dig into it more and walk into it more. There was a slogan back in the day when smartphones were really taken off, which was actually not really back in the day. It was not that long ago. Uh, if you remember, we watch movies now that are 10 years old and they're still using flip phones in there in a lot of those. So it's pretty new that we've had smartphones and we've had tablets and all these things. And Apple, who pioneered a lot of that stuff, had a slogan, and I think it was one of the greatest slogans of all time. It was so much better than Shop Like Your Santa's Mother, uh, which we talked about back in December. And the slogan for the Apple Store was, there's an app for that. Do you remember that when it first came out? I mean, it's just kind of so common now. But it was so groundbreaking. Like, we're so used to apps on our phones and on our computers now. Uh, but it was so groundbreaking at the time. Just this idea that, hey, uh, if you wanted to connect on Facebook, obviously there's an app for that. And if you wanted to work on your exercise routine, there's an app for that. And if you wanted some help with your budgeting, there's an app for that. And if you wanted some parenting tips, there's an app for that. And whatever you are looking for, there is an app for that. And I'm surprised that even years later, how many times Sarah and I will be talking about, oh, maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that. And the question quickly becomes, well, maybe there's an app for that. I wonder if there's an app for that. And often there is. It's a multi-billion uh, dollar industry. And you can go to school for it and get trained in it. There's an app for just about everything under the sun that you would need, including a Bible app, which most of you have on your phones right now that we can bring to church with us. And so for all the downside of technology and all the terrible sides of it, technology can also help us in our walk with the Lord. And there's a lot of spiritual Christian apps that are very, very useful and helpful. Anyway, the point, there is an app for that. There was something for you. Uh, no matter what you needed, there was, there was a way that there was going to be an app for that. And I'm going to very cheesily steal that line now as we go into the book of Psalms and say, whatever you are going through, whether today is a day of, of everything is great and you've got lots to be grateful for, whether today is a day of frustration where you're struggling, whether today is a day of despair, whether today is a day of doubt, wherever you are at stealing this line, there's a psalm for that. 
There is a psalm that speaks to that situation. There is a perfect God-breathed prayer in his word where when you're not sure what to pray, you can pray a perfect prayer up to God and know that he likes it and receives it and hears it because it's his own word that you're praying back to him. So we are going to take a look at uh, just that one specific psalm, Psalm 130 today. Uh, We're going to walk through it. So verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. That's not a happy start to a song. We don't start our worship songs that way. Typically on a Sunday morning, if the band got up and went, one, two, three, four, everything sucks, yeah. (laughs) It's not typically how we start. It's not a super upbeat way. And yet it's really good lyric writing because I want to know what's next. It grabs me right at the very beginning. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. There's a cry of of despair. There's a a sense of darkness in this. They are not uh, just, you know, coming into the house of the Lord out of this place of despair and saying, all right, put on a smile, put on a happy face. It's time to worship. Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus rescued me. No one knows this song. Is this really just a Pentecostal song? It fell flat in the first service too, and I learned nothing, obviously, by it. We used to sing that in the Pentecostal church in Sunday school. Apparently Mennonites just weren't up to date with all the modern worship of the 80s. Sorry, guys. But they're not, there's not a, an ounce of, hey, we're celebrating today, right? That, that's not where this person's at. There's lots of psalms that are like that, but this is not that. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. And that's uh, one thing so crucial with the psalms is the psalms teach us how to be real, how to pray authentically, how to pray with honesty, how to just lay bare our hearts before the Lord, if no one else. And because we go through life and we get hurt and we get battered along the way and our walls go up and we don't want to let people in and and hopefully we are moving towards healing and we're dealing with some of that stuff. But if there's one safe place in creation to let your guard down, it's with the Lord who loves you. And again, he already knows you're in the depths, if you are. Like, he already knows what you're going through. So out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord, there's this beautiful authenticity. And and we value honesty in general. We teach honesty to our children. Kids are too honest sometimes. Kids are honest to the point of rudeness sometimes. We actually have to teach them manners along the way and teach them to be a little gentler. When we were living up in Sudbury, Kaylee was about two years old, and she was just the cutest little spunky thing. And there was one day I was just lying out on the couch watching something on TV, and she came up, and she just curled up on top of me, and she was kind of laying on top of me, and it was just like, oh, my heart's exploding. My little girl is just snuggling in, and she's the cutest little thing, and we're watching the show together. And then she turns and looks at me with this big beaming smile. She was so excited to tell me this. And she said, Daddy, your tummy is like a big squishy pillow. Now, I think you mean a a rock-hard washboard, obviously. And she was so excited about it. Like, it was a great, wonderful, beautiful revelation. And so kids have this level of honesty that, again, we we seem to lose to some extent. And and for better or for worse, I know where my kids are at right now. And then along the way, we learn, oh, honesty sometimes has a price, and so you got to change things. And so I'm just going to be super shady and give the cold shoulder instead of being honest. I'll be really passive-aggressive and drop hints instead of actually being honest. We lose some of that childlike honesty that can actually be a really good thing. But the Psalms are very honest. And here's just a few more examples from throughout the Psalms. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I don't know if you can walk with Jesus for a long time without being able to relate to that. There are times where God just seems far away. 
And so this person is not singing a worship song about how close the Lord feels that day. There are other psalms for that. But this person who's writing this one is, Lord, you just seem far away right now. Psalm 43, verse 2, you are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Just God, why is this happening? Why are you letting this happen? Why are these circumstances happening to me? Again, they're not singing a song in this moment of the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. There are other psalms like that, and there are other times for that, but this person is just being honest. God, I feel rejected by you. Why, why is this happening? Why do I have to go about in this scenario? Psalm 22, 14, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Just, again, God knows this stuff anyway, right? He knows where your body's at. He knows where your heart's at. He knows where your soul's at. So why not be honest with the one who already knows all that anyway? If nowhere else in your life, it's a place of prayer where we can be authentic, where we can be real with God. But what I also love and need to point out about this is there's a lot of honesty, there's a lot of authenticity, but they are, as they are going through the struggles of despair and, and feeling cut off from God and difficult circumstances and pain in their bodies and all of these things, they are not just remaining in that place, they are bringing it to the Lord. They are bringing it to him. They are offering it up to him in prayer. They are not just turning inward and getting bitter and getting angry and walking away from God. Like, no, they are going through this stuff and they are letting it out and they are bringing it in prayer to the one who hears them. So rather than just stewing in it, rather than just spiraling, rather than just you know storming out the door of, of the synagogue and, and walking away from God, they're saying, hey, I'm going through all this stuff. What am I going to do with it? Well, I'm still going to bring it to the Lord because he's still the Lord. I am still going to bring it to him in prayer. I'm not getting angry. I'm not walking away. I'm going to wrestle with God in these difficult things because God is more than willing to engage in a wrestling match with his kids. He is ready. He's not scared of your tough questions. He's not scared of your struggles. And so we bring it to him. And so that's one thing I really admire about the psalmist is that even as they go through stuff, they, they let it drive them to the Lord and not drive them away from him. Moving on through our psalm, verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Some of your versions might say, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. There's just a, a holy, reverential fear of the Lord involved here. If you kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? If the Lord treated us as our sins deserved, like we, we just couldn't bear it. We do too much. We do too much every day. If you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence worship you. And, and so the Psalms teach us to humble ourselves before the Lord. The Psalms call us to repentance, the confession of our sin. And yet it doesn't stop there. It calls us to repentance, the confession of our sin, and then seeking the forgiveness of the Lord and then moving on from there. Because it's so easy to wallow in our sinfulness and different streams of the church emphasize this in different ways. But sometimes it's just, you're a sinner, right? You're a sinner. You're a horrible sinner. I can't believe you say that. You're the worst. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Sinner, point to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. You're a sinner. And if we stop there, then that's just condemnation. And scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to acknowledge our sin. We need to acknowledge it daily. We need to feel the weight of it. We need to understand how it grieves the Lord. We need to understand how toxic it is and the damage that it does in our lives. We need to do all of those things. We absolutely need to. But the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin so that he can bring us to freedom from sin. It's not a God-empowered guilt trip to make you feel bad. If we just stop at the acknowledgement of sin, we'll never get off our knees. And the psalmist says, hey, listen, I get the weight of it. Lord, if you kept a record of these sins, nobody could stand up under the weight of it. But with you, there is forgiveness. And that's the part you move into the next step. Right? First step is acknowledging the sin. Second step is asking for forgiveness for the sin, asking for the strength to overcome the sin, asking God to change you so you don't want to sin, and then getting up and moving forward into freedom, moving forward into holiness, moving forward into purity. When Jesus was walking the earth, his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so again, we need to be taught this. It's not natural. Even his disciples who've been spending all this time with him didn't know how to pray. They had to be taught how to pray, and so do we. And so Jesus famously gives the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, part of that, it's built right in. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This idea of regularly coming before the Lord. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. You should pray regularly for forgiveness. And if you want a really interesting exercise, it comes to us from St. Ignatius. It's called the examine. And at the end of every day, quiet yourself just for five minutes, 10 minutes, and say, Lord, search me and know. Right? The psalmist pray, search me and know. See if there is any wicked way within me. Lord, show me today where I pleased you and show me today where I displeased you. And then just sit there in silence for a few minutes and just see what comes to mind. And it takes a bit of practice to get the hang of it, but it's a really good exercise of self-reflection where you're just inviting the Lord to say, come and show me, Lord. Show me what I did that was good. Show me where I need to, to work at things and see what happens when the things that you said throughout the day start to come to mind. The attitudes that you had throughout the day start to come to mind, good and bad. The actions that you took, good and bad, start to come to mind. And it's just a good way to take stock and reflect and then able to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for saying that to that person. Forgive me for my attitude when I was talking to my spouse. Forgive me for losing my temper with my kids. Uh, Lord, help me do better. Lord, give me the strength. Transform me. Make me more humble. Make me more gentle to bring these things before the Lord so that they can be dealt with. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Pray. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us, Lord. That's a regular part of the life of the Christ follower. When our kids were little, it's still a bit of a struggle, but uh, bath time was a, a, always a bit of a challenge and, and trying to get them into the tub. And at times it was like, how can you not smell yourselves, guys? Come on, just get in the bath. And in talking to them about it, saying, but you know what, like coming out of a bath or a shower, it's an amazing feeling right? Like coming out clean is just a great feeling. And if you know the sensation of you've been sweating, you've been working in the yard, you've been exercising, you've gotten dirty in some way, and then jumping into a hot shower and then coming out of the hot shower, just squeaky clean and smelling amazing and just feeling just full of life. It's just an amazing feeling. And why not do for your soul what you do for your body every single day, right? 
It's not good to be dirty in your body. It's not good to have junk in your soul. And when we go and confess our sins, we are just, we are wiping that clean. We are keeping the slate clean. We are keeping our account short with the Lord and maybe with others uh, where we have to take a step of, of forgiveness or reconciliation towards others. But cleansing is a good thing. And we see that theme throughout the Psalms as well. Psalm 6, 1 and 2. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Again, when we sin and we don't know how to pray, we can just pray these. We can pray these back to God. Psalm 51, King David's famous psalm of repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I mean, you could just read that as part of your prayer life every day. Just those couple of verses. And that can be your confession. That can be your repentance. Help us, God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Psalm 79, 9. It shows up over and over and over again. The Psalms teach us how to repent. The Psalms teach us to humble ourselves. The Psalms teach us to confess our sins and to continually come to the Lord and be renewed and to be transformed. Moving on, Psalm 135 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Just some nice poetry in there. Again, the psalm started off as songs, so there's just good lyric writing on some of these things. I wait for the Lord. Some versions say, my soul waits, my whole being, everything within me waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. At the time that these are written, there's no electricity, obviously. And if you're a watchman, if your job is to watch over a city, then you're on the wall. There's a wall surrounding the city. You're a watchman on the wall. You've got your spear. You've got your weapon. And you cannot see anything in any direction. It's pitch black everywhere. And so that's a fearful, nerve-wracking place, I can imagine, right? You don't know if an attack is coming. You can't see anything. To be on the night watch in a time where there really isn't any night lighting is a very scary place to be. And so the watchman waits and waits and waits and waits for that crack of dawn to show up. Okay, I can see again. Whew. Now if something's coming, at least I can see it coming. More than watchmen wait, as a watchman longs for the sun to rise, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord with that expectation. And just like there is a 100% chance that the sun's going to rise tomorrow, I'm going to put that level of trust in the Lord, whatever I am waiting for him for. I am waiting upon the Lord for deliverance. I am waiting upon the Lord for an answered prayer. I'm waiting upon the Lord for a promise to be fulfilled. I'm waiting on the Lord for my circumstances to change. I'm waiting on the Lord for a sense of peace. I'm waiting on the Lord for finances to come. I'm waiting on the Lord for dot, 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 whatever you want to plug into that sentence. I wait upon the Lord with anticipation like a watchman waits for the sun to rise. And with the same level of trust that just as the sun rises, the Lord will be faithful to me. The Lord will be faithful to his word. The Lord will fulfill his promise. The Psalms teach us to worship, to reverence the Lord in that way. The Psalms teach us to trust him. And when we talk about worship, worship is obviously one of the main themes of the book of Psalms. They were written as prayer songs, as worship songs. When we say worship, we usually think we're talking about this, the musical part, and that is worship, no doubt. Uh, scripture calls us to sing and to play our instruments and to make joyful noise to the Lord. And so we sing a lot in church because the Bible tells us to. And that is definitely worship. Our musical worship is worship. But really, worship is anything we do, anything we do, that acknowledges and or elevates the Lord in our lives. 
Worship is anything that we do that acknowledges and or elevates the Lord in our lives. Anytime we obey the word of God, we take a step to do something because the Bible tells us to, that's worship. That is worship because we're doing it because the Lord called us to. Anytime we give a financial gift because scripture calls us to be generous, that's worship. That is an act of worship. So scripture doesn't talk about worship just as our songs. It talks about living a life of worship, offering our bodies as an act of worship, like our, our whole lifestyle being part of our worship where we acknowledge the Lord continually and we lift up the Lord continually. A spiritual conversation with your friends can be an act of worship. It's a way that you are elevating God in your life. You are acknowledging who he is. And yes, of course, the songs that we sing are also worship. And so the Psalms teach us to worship beautifully because the Psalms are always acknowledging the Lord and the Psalms are always elevating the Lord. They teach us to worship him and they teach us to trust him. And trust is a part where uh, it's easy to do, of course, when things are great. It's harder to do when things are hard. We read God's word, we read the promises, and we say, okay, I, I trust that God can do that. I'm not seeing that at the moment, but I'm going to choose to trust that he will be faithful. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And when we trust in him, that is an act of worship because that acknowledges him and elevates him when we put our trust in him. And so as the Psalms are uh, unfolding, we have this, this incredible authenticity of, hey, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Uh, Lord, all my bones are out of joint. Lord, why do you seem so far off? And yet the Psalmist often wrestles through back to this place of trust. Here's a few examples. Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake, like fear of the Lord, reverent worship. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Ascribe, to, it means to give, to give weight to, give weight to the Lord. Give the Lord the glory that is due him. Psalm 104 and 5, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's like a clap your hands song. We also used to sing that in the Pentecostal church. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. And so even with the authentic, hey, I'm really struggling here passages, there are also these faith-filled God is good passages. And if all we do is focus on the good ones without focusing on the harder ones, then we're not really being authentic. If all we do is focus on the negative ones without moving through to the big ones, then we're just wallowing in whatever it is that we're wallowing through. And so the psalmist does both. The psalmists in different places, different songwriters, different psalmists, as they write these psalms, they are very real and open and, and sharing exactly where they are at. And yet they are also wrestling their way through to this place of trust, this place of faith, this place of worship. Last couple of verses. We're just about done. Verse 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. How good is that? Don't skip over that. Put your hope in the Lord. And that's not just for Israel. The promise was given to Israel as uh, members of the new covenant. We've been invited into that family. And so these promises are for us as well. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He himself is going to do the redeeming. He himself will do the saving. You're in sin. He's going to fix it. He's going to solve the sin problem. And so look at the difference in these couple of lines. We started off in verse 1 with, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. 
right? Out of my despair, out of the pits, out of the struggle, out of the pain, whatever specifically the psalmist was going through, out of a dark place, I cry to you, Lord, have mercy. And by the end, it's, hey, put your hope in God because God is incredible. They have wrestled their way from despair back to faith. And with all of that authenticity, we want to be that way because it's just honest. And honesty is a biblical virtue. We want to be able to be honest. But if all we're doing is being so honest that we're just complaining all the time, we're frustrated all the time, we're in despair all the time, then we're missing the point. It's good to acknowledge that and then get up and start wrestling so we can get here by the end. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. The Psalms teach us how to hope, and it's grounded in God's love. Unfailing love, what more do you want? If God's love is unfailing, then that is a God worth putting your hope in. That is a God worth trusting. Because whoever loves you the most in your life, whoever uh, has loved you as maybe as a parent or as a spouse or your kids or a brother or a sister or a friend, whoever has given you that that clearest sense of what love feels like, even that is failing love, just because it's not perfect love. It might be incredible love, but it's not perfect because we're not perfect. But God's love is unfailing love. God's love never misses anything. God's love never fails. It is unfailing love. Our human love will always fall short. We get a taste of it, but it always falls short. God's love never does. And God's love and his redemption is displayed for us most perfectly at the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God's unfailing love shows up at the cross. He loved us that much. And doesn't just say he loves us, shows us what that love looks like. Shows the willingness to sacrifice of himself. Shows his willingness to lay his own life down out of his love for us. At the cross, the unfailing love of God is perfectly displayed. At the cross, the full redemption that the psalmist just talked about is fully displayed. He himself will redeem us from our sins. He's going to do it. You don't save yourself. You don't redeem yourself. He redeems us. With the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will save his people from their sins. The cross shows the fullness of that entirely. That at the cross, Jesus deals with the problem of our sin and, and buys the forgiveness that we can't earn on our own. In his resurrection, he invites us into life with him and even eternal life with him. In the cross and resurrection, the full redemption of God is on full display. And we are invited into that. Every single one of us, every person on earth is given that invitation. And not everybody will take it, but the invitation is come and follow Jesus. Come and receive the unfailing love of the Lord. Come and put your hope in that God because he's proven how committed he is to you already. He's proven. He has shown you how much he loves you. That is a God worth putting your trust and hope in. And so even as the psalmist wrestles through the doubt and the insecurity and the, the despair and the pits and all of those things, uh, regularly they come back to this place of hope by the end of it. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Surely your goodness and love or goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Not from people, right? Not from programs, not from your spouse even, not from governments. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord 
who is the maker of heaven and earth, Psalm 121. Regularly, even in those psalms of despair and authenticity uh, and just blunt honesty of the struggles of life, we come back around by the end to these places of hope and faith and trust. And, and so we don't ever want to just remain in the despair. We don't want to remain in the pits. We want to acknowledge that and seek the Lord who pulls us out of that and then wrestle our way back to that place of trust and hope and worship and faith. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. Last week, as we started our first Sunday of the year, uh, we challenged this idea that 2020 at Meadowbrook, we've said, is a year of next levels. We just want things to be moving forward. We're moving forward into maturity. We're going deeper. Uh, we are seeking to grow. And the challenge was to look at where we needed to grow upwardly, inwardly, and outwardly. So upwardly in our relationship with the Lord, inwardly as we're dealing with our own stuff, our sin, our baggage, our pain, and then outwardly as we are engaging with other people. And so the Psalms can help us even in this, as we look at our upward relationship with God. Where do we go from here? What do we do with this as we start to go about our week? Is that the Psalms, again, they teach us how to pray. They can keep us connected to God. They can show us how to pray. And when we are not sure of the words, they can pray for us as we read those things to the Lord. And so to challenge yourself to say, okay, well, how am I engaging with this important book of the Bible? Where do the Psalms fit into my spiritual life? And maybe it is as simple as, you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up. I'm going to start with Psalm 1. And I'm just going to read that as a prayer to the Lord. Maybe it's as simple as that. Uh, there is a Psalm app for your phone. There's an app for that that will bring you psalms for that. Hey, it all works out, it comes together. So in your upward relationship with God, how can the psalms play a part? What can you do? What's a good step? And, and the thing is, as we read the psalms more, uh, not only are we taking in more of God's word, not only are we getting more comfortable with, with the words that God is looking for and the words that he has breathed, but they also teach us how to pray beyond that because we start to realize like, oh, I, I know how to confess now because I've read so many psalms about it. I know how to worship now because I've read so many psalms about it. So the psalms are here to help you in your upward relationship with the Lord. Inwardly, the psalms challenge us to be real, to be authentic with God, if no one else, and hopefully you do have somebody else, hopefully there is somebody in your life that you can share about these things with, but the Psalms are there to challenge us of, hey, we've all got stuff going on, and not every day is sunshine and rainbows and roses. And to honestly acknowledge that to yourself and to the Lord, not to be in denial, but to say, hey, this is where I'm at today, Lord, for better or for worse. I'm not going to stay in this place, but I, I want to acknowledge where I'm at and just be real and honest. The Psalms challenge us inwardly to be real, to be honest with ourselves. And then outwardly to understand, hey, how can these Psalms, as we get more familiar with them, be used as tools where we can help other people, we can encourage other people. This happened in the lobby, actually, right after the nine o'clock service, I was talking to a couple of people and the woman was just saying, oh, I'm just kind of going through this and struggling. And as she's talking, the other woman there opened her Bible and she started whipping through and she's like, I have a Psalm for that. She was putting it in practice right away and read the Psalm to her. And now that's something that the other woman will take away, I'm sure, and think about and pray about. Uh, we encourage each other. And, and as we sing Psalms together, a lot of our worship songs that we sing have the Psalms in them. And this is where it's important for us to worship together because you need to hear the band sing these truths over you. They need to hear you sing the truths back to them. You need to hear the people around you singing these songs with you because we are declaring truth over each other. And some days maybe you've had the experience of coming into a worship service and going like, I'm not really feeling this song. Like I just, I'm in a bad place. I'm not feeling worshipful. I'm not feeling 
the goodness of God today. I'm just not in that place. And then as others around you sing that truth, declare that truth, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God does its work inside of you. And faith starts to rise and hope starts to rise and it starts to grow within and we get together. And as we declare the Word of the Lord together, we bless each other as we do that. And so we're gonna put that in practice right now for a couple of minutes. We actually did this last year uh, around the same time. So everyone's gonna need a Bible. And so pull out your phone, uh, grab a Bible from the pew in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you can just Google this as well. But there's a few Psalms up here on the screen. They are all Psalms of worship. Uh, so that again, that might not be exactly where you're at today, but we're going to start here just all together. So pick one of those Psalms, any one you like. If you have another favorite that's not on there, pick that one by all means. And we're going to take a few minutes before we close in musical worship here today. And just as we kick off our week of prayer, as we are still kicking off 2020, um, and as we are getting ready to, to jump into a, an intentional and extended time of prayer together as a church family. We are going to take some of these psalms and we are all together going to offer them up to the Lord as our prayer today. So in a minute, we are all going to stand up. And when I say go, we are going to read whatever psalm you want. Everybody's going to read. And we're just going to turn this place into a symphony of prayer for the next few minutes. And we are all going to raise our voices. And again, if you're not sure how to pray, doesn't matter because you're just going to return God's perfect word back to him. So you know he likes it. You know he hears it. You know he receives it. And so for a few minutes, we are going to offer up the word of the Lord as our prayer today. If you finish yours quick, read it again. And we're just going to fill this place with prayer all together at the same time for a few minutes. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me, please. Grab your psalm. You got your psalm. There's a psalm for that. We are ready. All right. All together, let's lift our voices. Ready? One, two, three, go. Thanks. 
We could keep going. Isn't that a cool sound? Just the sound of the voices rising together, declaring God's word over each other and declaring God's word back to him. It's a beautiful thing. The Psalms teach us how to pray. The Psalms make prayer easier for us. And so we are gonna do a bit of musical worship before we go. And as we uh, get ready to wrap up, the words will be up here on the screen. Please sing along with us and offer your musical worship now up to the Lord. And then we will close off in a moment. 